0: Everybody, welcome back. All right, we're still talking to movie soundtrack icons, and this one is a big one that you probably don't even know. So, this week we are talking to Randy Hall, and Randy's done a lot of things in his career, which you're gonna be blown away by a lot of these stories, but if you know him, you probably know him from one thing, and that is, in the movie Camp not Buy Me Love, in the famous African anteater ritual dance sequence at the school dance, when everybody kind of mindlessly goes along with Ronald Miller's crazy dance that he thought he learned on American Bandstand, but it was really PBS. During that scene, there is somebody playing at the school dance. There's a group up on stage performing the song that everyone is dancing to, and that guy is Randy Hall. What's crazy though, is that that, I mean, he's done a ton more than that. He put out a couple solo albums in the mid 80s, Before that, though, he played with Miles Davis, and he wrote some songs for Miles Davis. There's not that many things that are probably more impactful on a musician's resume than playing with Miles Davis. It is crazy, and he's got some nutty, crazy stories, as you can imagine, that involve Miles Davis. Wait till you hear, especially the one at the very end. In the early 90s, he went on to be sort of an artist consultant with Death Row Records. That's nuts, too. We talk about that. And wait till you hear a story about Tupac. Nuts. Just nuts. Now, for the last, like, 20 years or more, he has been the musical director of last week's guest, Joe Esposito, in Las Vegas. They put on a musical show down there around clubs, and so that's how Randy's been making his living for the last, whatever, 20 years. But the guy has done and seen so much And I'm really excited for you to hear these incredible stories, get to know his music. Hopefully you turn on to some things. He is so fascinating. It's pretty killer. He called me from his home in Vegas.
1: Let's kick it off with Can't Buy Me Love. You got to tell me the Can't Buy Me Love story. How did you get picked to be on there? Do you remember anything about the filming? What's, What's the story?
2: Yeah you know, man, I don't remember anything about that. No, I'm just kidding. What? <laughs> well then we
1: don't have much to talk about. No, just kidding. <laughs>
2: yeah. No, um what happened was my uh my second album I think my second album I just completed my second album on MCA. Mm-hmm. And so at the time my managers were Cavallo Ruffalo, and Fargnoli. And they managed uh Prince and The Time and Earth mm-hmm. and Fire and they were like really huge managers, you know, so a lot of projects came their way, and so what happened was they uh the this 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 small company um film company they had uh, decided to do this movie, can't buy me love and it had they were saying it was gonna probably be picked up by Disney they didn't know for sure, and so they needed a song that basically sounded like a David Bowie song. Like a what song? Like a David, they want a David Bowie type song or scene that they had. The movie. They
1: wanted you to, they hired you to sound like David Bowie.
2: Yeah. I don't know what, I don't know where they got that from. Weird. Yeah. And so okay. I said, okay, so I'm making attempts. So that's, that's really what that song was about. Uh, all night, it was a it was an attempt to actually do a David Bowie type song. And Why they came to me and asked me to do that? The guy, I guess, the music supervisor guy, he liked my music, and okay. he was like he heard something in, within my singing that I guess he thought sounded like a David Bowie song.
1: No way. I
2: don't see it.
1: No, I don't either. I mean you're you're good on your own as well, but I wouldn't yeah. have made the connection. So did you write all night for Camp uh, I, Camp I Me Love?
2: Yes I did. Yeah, you I did? That, yeah, I wrote that with a guy named Raymond Jones. And Raymond Jones uh is, well he was he passed about two, three years ago. Raymond Jones was in the group Chic. He was the keyboard. Oh, lady. sure, yeah. And then awesome. Raymond Jones also was a producer. He produced songs on Whitney Houston.
0: He hmm. produced, uh, he
2: wrote the song um, for Jeffrey Osborne. Uh, what's the name of the song? Oh, oh, oh,
1: um, Stay the Night? He wrote Stay the Night. I love Jeffrey Osborne.
2: Yeah, he wrote that. And then he wow. also wrote a lot of the songs that were in Spike Lee's movies. Really? Wow. Yeah, yeah he wrote, um, He wrote, uh, I, well, I can't even think of names of them. But if you go and look at Spike Lee's movies and look up his, okay. uh photography. I'll look him you up. See, okay. you see Raymond Jones wrote a lot of stuff. And so. Okay. We we wrote that song together, and wow. uh, they they were they loved it. They just loved it. So oh, wow. as they did that, as we did that song, they it was about two or three other songs that they liked that I had written too. That, that wasn't on my album, like she's an actress, and they mm-hmm. used another song that was off my album, as long as I can last. Well, anyway, right the guys, wow. when the guys met me, they really liked me, and they said, you know what, um. You know, they said you're a good-looking guy. I, we, we we got a spot where we need like a rock star kind of guy mm-hmm. at a at, a, at a, a band playing at the um, at the uh, the school dance, mm-hmm. and you know we we want you to do it. And I said really, and I said well, cool. You know, yeah. so yeah. so as they were listening to the song, and they were creating this this movie. They decided that they need. They wanted a little dance move that they wanted to have in this scene where all the kids would do this dance together in, in this great scene. So, so they didn't
1: tell you that but when you when they asked you to write the song, they didn't explain to you what the scene, what the no. significance of the scene was going to be. They just wanted you to write something to fit
2: in there. Yeah, like a cool David Bowie kind of groovy song. Yeah. Okay. And so that was my closest to getting to sound like David Bowie. Yeah. And so the uh they they brought in Paula Abdul to choreograph it. Oh, that's right. She choreographed that I forgot Yeah, she choreographed it. They brought her in to choreograph it. And um, that's where I met, you know, and then I I met, you know, Patrick Dempsey and Sure. I, I remember he was he was really a cool guy, cool guy and Good. I I remember them saying back then that one of the guys, uh, the guys that, who's the producer, that he became really big. Um, um Gerardo with uh, Rico Suave. No, 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 not him. No, I'm oh, saying. Oh, because he's in the movie the too. Movie. Right, the producer of the movie. Um, oh. He became like large.
1: Yeah, I don't um, remember who produced it. I'll have to go back and check.
2: Yeah. And so, the, uh, yeah. So what was I okay. saying about it? Anyway, they, yeah, so. So um, you're
1: there, and they hire you to be at the, to perform at the dance. And then yeah. when you're there, they explain to you, um, we're going to put a really funky, weird dance in here.
2: Yeah, and then Paula came in, and I, I then I met Paula. And, okay. Um, and. And then we were there They were rehearsing it And all that kind of stuff So we choreographed That whole scene Basically Okay Okay Yeah We choreographed That whole scene And uh, It was a great experience Um, Sure I'm trying to think What was the uh, The young girl She just died Uh, Yeah Amanda Peterson I was just going to ask you If you met her Yeah she just died recently When I first Met her She was so young And the only thing I I remember I remember I was like wow Because this was like Real Hollywood for me, actually, like mm-hmm. being in a movie, you know. Yeah, and I sure. thought I, just, I said, "This is the prettiest little girl." I think I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. I remember she standing there with this blonde hair, and the yep. sun was just like radiating through uh, her, her hair and everything. And I said, "This is going to be a star." I thought yep. that she was going to be the star, even though the the producer said that this guy, he said, "Man, this guy, Patrick Dempsey, he's going to be another Dustin Hoffman." That's what he said. <laughs> um not
1: not quite not quite he had a rough go for a while and then finally hit it big with Grey's Anatomy but um oh wow yeah so Amanda Peterson yeah I mean could she have been any cuter and prettier back in the day she only ever made a couple other movies I think she had such a bad drug problem that it just kind of derailed everything
2: hmm yeah, 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 but she was really sweet. I remember she was she was just as sweet as she was in that movie. She was, a, but you know that was like everybody's first go around. So everybody was nice back then, you know. Until yeah. they get a taste. Then when they get a taste of everything, and that's when. Yeah. Like Chris Rock said, when you first meet somebody, you first meet their representative. You know. Yeah. And yeah. Um, so, yeah. Wow. So do you ever? I mean, how
1: often does do you still make – so one of the topics of the podcast is money.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And yes. we – because I, I say that because I think a lot of people assume that all rock stars are rich and famous. Mm-hmm. And in the truth, the podcast is called The Hustle. Because mm-hmm. in reality, so many of you guys have to hustle to maintain a career in music, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, I assume because you have a song on the soundtrack and that that movie gets played – all the time still. Do you see, Do you still get residuals for that movie? Oh, yeah.
2: Well, I had three songs in the movie.
1: Yeah, you did. The oh. the slow song, I can't remember, but um, the name of it. As,
2: yeah, As Long As I Can Last. Was the, That's
3: and, uh, it. She's an actress. She's an actress. Take your off. I want to help you last. gonna rub some hot oil, rub it slow down your back. Girl, I'm not the kind of man who leave you in a heat and rush. When your lover wants and got to take your time, make sure you can
1: Yeah, where did that now? Here's well. So I have a, I'm, I had a really hard time finding your albums, by the way. But I don't think she's an actress. Is on either one of them. So did you write no. that for the movie as well?
2: No, no, I didn't. They like the oh. songs. They like those two songs, and they put them, they put them in there.
1: Okay,
2: okay. Mm-hmm. All well, right. okay, yeah. Now uh, I tell you. Now we to to use that song. I think I was paid a fee of about to use all night. I think I, I think I got like ten thousand per song, okay. which isn't a lot of money, but it was decent. You sure. know, especially sure. for a movie was a low budget movie. Well, what yeah. happens is that now, I guess they what happened was they finished the movie and they take it to Disney and Disney goes crazy over it. They love it. Right. They love the movie. Now it becomes from the small. Little uh, movie company, now it becomes a touchstone Disney movie. You know, mm-hmm. so that made a big, that made, of course, a huge difference. Mm-hmm. And then they use, so then they use Can't Buy Me Love, the Beatles mm-hmm. song, right? Right. Now they got this deal from Disney. So I make about 30000 for the usage.
0: Mm-hmm. And
2: the Beatles, for Can't Buy Me Love, they get a half a million.
1: That's what I, <laughs> I heard that somewhere. I saw like a little documentary or something on the making of that. And they were yeah. saying how expensive it was to pay for the actual song. But yeah. they did it because they felt like it brought uh, like val- validity or credence. Like we're putting our money where our mouth is. We're not just calling this movie after a Beatles song. We're paying to put the song in there. You know what I mean? Well,
2: the, I think that the song may have cost more than the movie. It probably no, it. it probably did. You're probably right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. And you know, then we shot it in in Arizona. I think it was it was either was it Tucson or was it Phoenix? I don't know. I think it was Tucson. Yeah, it was so long ago. Yeah, sure. Did you have I any say, idea? I'll say, say another side note on this movie. Yeah, please. Okay, like okay, I'm, all the time while I'm filming this movie. I meet this 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 boy this this young high school guy, and he's such a cool guy, so you know i kind of we kind of be you know i kind of befriend the guy throughout it'cause'cause i i don't
1: uh-huh.
2: you know they have high school kids in the movie and stuff sure, and he was um just a cool little guy, and we talk and everything he wanted to know a lot about music and everything like that so you know life is 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 so interesting I end up marrying his cousin. What? No. Yeah, I mean, like...
1: Pure coincidence, later in life, you end up marrying that guy's later, cousin.
2: Ten years later, I marry his cousin. I just meet his cousin in L.A. and don't even know that that's him. And then yeah. she she talks, my wife talks to her cousin and says, wait a minute, you married Randy Hall? Wait a minute. My son came home and said, Molly, I met this musician, Randy. I met Randy Hall, and he was the nicest guy. He was just the coolest guy. <laughs> and I ended up marrying his. I mean, this is her first cousin too. Her first yeah. Cousin. Yeah. Wow. That's just yeah. That is insane. That's insane. That's insane. wow.
1: Wow. Yeah. So, were you? Um, was that one day of shooting making the, filming that scene? No,
2: no, we were there, man, to shoot that scene. We it took about about. Three or four days to shoot that scene.
1: Okay, okay. Yeah, think about so you're making some days. money. You're making some money with the usage of your music, but you're also making some money to be in the movie. And I oh, imagine yeah. they're putting you yeah. up and stuff like. Okay. And then yeah. you get a little. You get a little piece of something, something every time the movie gets played on TV. I'm guessing, right? Yeah,
2: and then you also get paid at like a little usage fee from the motion picture right. company once a year. Yeah. So yeah. every so four times a year, I could pay, I mean, you know, pretty decent on that movie. It's not a lot. That's sure. But, yeah. I've interviewed some up. other
1: people who have songs in movie soundtracks and stuff because I find that whole thing really, really fascinating, yeah. especially the movies that I grew up on. You know, because yeah. I don't think. Correct me if I'm wrong. I don't believe there's an official "Can't Buy Me Love" soundtrack.
2: Yeah, so I got other songs in my catalog, like the Miles sure. Davis stuff. Always. Oh, I know Davis stuff.
1: I've been you listening know.
2: to that.
1: Yeah. Rose, okay. And this, so just and, to wrap uh, up the "Can't Buy Me Love" stuff, though, but you okay? Look, uh, there wasn't there wasn't a soundtrack, right? Right. So you now, weren't I mean, making any royalties okay, is, off soundtrack
2: sales. This, so. this is the deal. This is the deal with that. Um, I didn't have the best relationship with the vice president of black music at mm. at MCA, okay? Mm, okay? And, I mean, this guy just didn't like me. You know, mm. it was different reasons why, but he just, he didn't sign me. I was signed, I was brought to the label, and I was signed by Irving Azoff. Oh, okay. No, thanks. Now, and, I mean, Ray Parker Jr. is my producer, and through, mm-hmm. his, through his company, Irving liked my music, and he gave me a deal, okay? Now, you would think, Here's a guy who's got who was signed by Urban Azoff. Exactly. He's got Ray Parker Jr. as this producer, who was hot, hot as hell. Yeah. Yep. And he's got the biggest probably management company going right now. The guy who's got the, the company that's got Prince, Ray Parker Jr., Sheila E., Morris, Janet, oh, oh, Earth, oh, Wind, oh, and Fire.
0: So how yep. can I
2: lose? How can I exactly? Lose, right? Exactly. So it, it just took one guy. It was the vice president of black music. And He was very famous. His name was Gerald Busby. Wow. Yeah. Was it just and, a vendetta against you or
1: were there other bands was he like that no, with other it was, bands? It was
2: it was basically a vendetta just with me. Uh oh. you know. He basically oh, he basically brought me in his office one time and he's and and he was a dark skinned black man and he told me that I don't like light skinned black guys. What? Really? Yeah. yeah. It came down to that? It came down to that. Nothing personal, nothing that I ever said to him. Because in the industry, I always made sure I was always respectful to everybody. Sure. Yeah, but he just didn't like me. No way. And then I found out later it was somebody who I think that he indirectly liked that said something about me, said I was good looking or I was cute. Oh, yeah. Okay. So they came to him. They came to him because they said, "Wait a minute, Gerald. You know, I, you know this thing. We're going to probably get it on Disney, and uh, we would like to be able to make this into a soundtrack record. Mm-hmm. And will you take it? Will you, um, will you, um, um, you know, take it and and and, mm-hmm. and, uh, and sign? You know, give us a deal. And mm-hmm. so he, he supposedly he went to see the movie and he came back and he said, no, because I don't see where.'" This this movie is going to be like big enough no uh, for you know, so he didn't do it, which no was way. which was ridiculous because All Night was really a hit record. That was a hit yes, record. it was because if you go on YouTube and you look at the comments from people, oh they, always, they requested they were like, how come this wasn't a hit record? Because it was I radio, it was it was real radio friendly, and at totally. What happened was this was all before they got to deal with Disney, what happened was they uh they uh and I and Disney didn't know it was gonna be this big either. Yeah, Disney didn't know it was gonna be this big. True. Uh they even shot a video. We shot a video for the song. You did? Yeah, we shot a video.
1: Was that ever even released?
2: No. Nope. No, nope. because no
1: way.
2: I believe even when Disney saw that M C A wasn't gonna pick it up and they just didn't go for it, they didn't think it was going to be as big as it as it became,
1: yeah, yeah, oh, that's a shame, and now it's like one of the most iconic scenes in eighties movie history,
3: yeah,
1: that thing's been viewed, I mean everyone knows that scene, everyone who knows that movie knows that scene, and you're the well, you were there, you're the guy, yeah, that's insane. It, it
2: it, it, it's, it, it was it was disheartening because it was my music. It was, you know. Yeah. It could have been, like they say, it could have been large. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. Could have and should have. Jeez, that sucks. All right. Well, um, okay. Now I want to talk about the rest of your career because I that was really all I knew. When, when Joe mentioned your name on the phone, I I thought I got to get to know everything else about Randy Hall because all I know is "Can't Buy Me Love," and uh, so I've been doing all this research. And first of all, you got, let's kick it off with Miles Davis. I mean that that was that was probably your first big break, so to speak, right? Your first uh, uh, rec- rec- recording of any
2: acclaim, right? Well, I'll tell you. When I was young. Um... You know, I played in a lot of bands in Chicago. And what happened was, you know, I started getting really, becoming a really good player. Mm-hmm. So I uh, started playing, uh, I went on a short tour with a group called the Staples Singers when I was a kid. Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah. I'll take you there. Right, uh-huh. right exactly. And working with our yeah. Staples. And then uh, when, we went okay, even before okay, the Miles thing had happened. But what before Miles could put this album out, right? I mean we had went to New York to record it, but before Miles mm-hmm. could put the album out, uh Ramsey Lewis found out that it was this group <laughs> that was in Chicago that was probably gonna become Miles's band. So oh, wow. in a kind of slick sly kind of way, before Miles' album could come out they they brought he had us to come in and write songs for his album and mm-hmm. do his album an album called Three Piece Suite so that was really like the first okay that was yeah that was like the first thing uh, okay Three Piece Suite and then yeah okay and then what happens next okay and so anyway well what happened was we um Miles Davis's nephew a guy named Vince Woodman, he was my drummer, and we had this mm-hmm. band. And so me and a guy named Robert Irving, Bobby Irving, uh, we wrote these songs. and we were, So he would play these demos for Miles. Mm-hmm. And Miles at the time was in hiatus. He hadn't been doing anything, and he had been right. off the scene for a while. And I guess he was going through, you know, his rehabilitation and, <laughs> I read his autobiography recently. Oh, yeah. my gosh. One of the most yeah. amazing
1: nonfiction books I've ever read.
2: Yeah, well, he, it, That it guy was, was a trip. It was, Hey, man, it was deeper than what you, it, you know. I, I, I believe it. You, I could talk to you about things, but they would have to be off the record. You know? Totally. I believe it. Yeah. We'll because make that a separate
1: was, conversation sometime. Yeah. Crazy.
2: And so we, um, he loved the stuff that we were doing. So he sent tickets for us to come to New York. To record, so I thought that he was we assumed that he was sending tickets for us to come to New York to record um uh, our own album, but once we got there and he heard music, he decided that he actually wanted it to be for him so but you wrote
1: the man with the horn was that that was for him, wasn't it?
2: That was that was for him. Okay, because, but only how many, only two two songs actually of ours made that album. We we recorded, yeah. we recorded more stuff than that.
1: Oh, I see. So there were a bunch, but those were the two that got on the album. Okay. Yeah,
2: well, well those were the only two he played on because during that time. Oh uh, sure. Miles kind of. I mean, we were we were there recording and recording these songs, and then. He decided, well, you know, I want to play on it. I want to play on it. <laughs> and we so mm-hmm. he was in the studio, and at the time, his lip wasn't right. So mm. we, um, okay. because he hadn't played in so long, he hadn't played sure, in so long. Of course. He didn't have his lip together. Yeah. So, so it was about three or four months that went by, and Miles called me. He said, "Hey, Randy. He said, check this out." And then he started blowing in the phone, and
0: I was no like, "Wow!" Way. I
2: mean, he sounded great. I mean, he had got his lip back and his tone back. Yeah. And um, he went in and he recorded those two songs: "The Man with the Horn" and "Shout." Mm-hmm.
1: Form the songs, and then he goes in later and records his part over them. Right. You guys aren't recording with him in the same studio at the same time.
2: Oh, not no, not at the same time. Uh-uh, not at that, not during that time. No.
1: No. Okay. Well, Miles uh.
2: wasn't able. We were we were going to, but Miles wasn't ready to play yet. He he didn't have his lip together.
1: Yeah, yeah, okay. You know, with with,
2: with horn players, they have to really, you know, that Horse. muscle. Yeah, you know, you can't just lay off being a being a horn player, right? I mean, if you, right, if you right. lose, it. yeah. yeah. And so he went in and he recorded those two songs, and then he recorded two or three songs with with uh, with uh, Marcus Miller and mm-hmm. and another band, and boom. So they go on tour for a while. so Miles asked me to go on tour for a while, so I did it for a while, and then I had been working on my own songs and. I did just a few gigs with Miles when I was like, when this band, this other band called me, Pleasure, and and yeah, a band called Pleasure. hmm And they had. A can, I, can
1: I can I ask you about Miles real quick? I mean, I know I'm sure you have a million stories, but can you sum up what the experience of going on tour with Miles Davis was like?
2: Well, I only did a few gigs with I only did a few okay. gigs with Miles. Uh, okay. The.
0: And are you playing guitar
2: on this? Yeah. On these tours? Yeah, the pressure of it and everything that went down, I just, I couldn't take it too much. And then once I got with Miles, I started getting all these offers. Oh, right. I started getting all these offers. So, and I didn't know which one to take at the time, but, you know, Pleasure offered me a lot of money. They gave me a lot of money to come Mm -hmm. into this album. And they were in New York also. Yeah. And they had just gotten this huge deal with RCA Records. Wow. And even before then, I had met Ray Parker, Jr. <laughs> and And so Ray was like, well, man, look, don't sign anything with anybody. Don't sign nothing with Miles. Don't sign nothing with Pleasure because I'm going to hook you up and get you your own deal. Oh, man. Yeah. How did you meet yeah. Ray? Well, I met Ray actually through Wayne Shorter. Oh, really? Yeah. So <laughs> Okay. Wayne's, yeah, Wayne Shorter's wife, when I went out, I went out to, because I started doing this time, I went out to uh, L.A. to live. I was living in Chicago. And I said, let me move out there because things are kind of happening. and I had a friend who I could hang with, so I was out there. And uh, Miles said, well, you know, I got my friend is out there, Ramsey Hall, oh, you know, look after them. So Wayne kind of took me in, you know, Wayne, oh, well, Wayne and his wife, Anna Maria Shorter. Now, Anna Maria Shorter is, she's known, she was on that flight, that TWA flight that that uh, fell, I guess it fell leaving New York, but it, people thought it was hit yeah. by something. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's really? I lost. Yeah, and so me and Anna was real tight and Wayne. So I was at the wow. house all the time, and they were trying to get me. They were trying to get me to become a Buddhist. Really? <laughs> yeah. So, but I didn't. I didn't want to be a Buddhist. Right. Right. So I. Yeah. So I was at Wayne's house, man, and so you know I was a Miles Davis alumni now, and and, and so Herbie Hancock would come by sure. the house. Oh and, my gosh! Are yeah, you just Herbie, now. Let me ask you this.
1: Was your intention in the beginning to go a more jazz route, or were you just a musician looking for a gig, or was this like a stepping stone into more pop? What was the plan?
2: I I mean, you're rubbing
1: shoulders with the greatest jazz musicians ever. So that, I mean, was that the plan, or were you just blown away by this?
2: Well, I didn't think I was really actually good enough to play with any of these people, man. I mean, it's just—I mm. mean, I, I, I could play, and yeah. obviously I could play good enough that they all would let me hang out. But you know, I wasn't—I uh, was more of a—I uh, wanted to be a rock star.
1: Okay, that's what I wanted to know. Good to know. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I want to be so being I a side work. man in a jazz combo or whatever—that's yeah, not—that I mean, wasn't I, the that, goal. That,
2: no, but but back then it seems like all the jazz guys wanted to be rock stars.
1: Oh, uh, true, yeah. Miles was definitely becoming more pop in the 80s. Yeah,
2: yeah. Miles was digging Jimi Hendrix. Miles wanted me to play like Jimi Hendrix. He didn't want me yeah. to play you no know, jazz. He any, Anything to sound like jazz, he hated during that time. Yeah, that you makes know, sense. He liked this. He liked, this is, this is what's so funny. He wanted a guitar player to sound like Jimi Hendrix. He wanted sax players to sound like John right, mm-hmm. And he wanted to play what he wanted to play. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, and um, so I was hanging out with Wayne and Herbie Hancock, and who else is coming by there? Jocko, Pastorius. Oh, my and, gosh. Wow. And uh, all the all the weather reports guys was hanging yeah. out. Like, you know, because you know, he was playing, you know, because Wayne was doing the weather report thing. He you know, Joe Zawa mm-hmm. um, I think, who was playing, who else was, who was, who, uh, it was, uh, who was playing drums? Uh, was it Peter Erskine? Peter. I don't
1: know. I, I'm not a super jazz expert. Um,
2: yeah. But you heard these guys before, right? Sure.
1: Yeah, of course. Yeah, I'm trying to remember the name.
2: Um, you got to remember, now, all this was happening I was like 20 years old. That's true, yeah. You probably don't even <laughs> know how great on, you have it right then. All this, I mean, all this stuff was going on. So then I get a call, so I needed money, so pleasure was the first to actually call with the money.
3: Tell me how it
2: is the end. I was giving demos, and he kept wanting me work on songs and stuff. But Pleasure was the one who said, "Look, man, I'm gonna cut you a check." Hmm. So. Wow. So I went on. Are you on? Music.
1: Did you just do the last Pleasure album? I was listening yeah. to it today. Get over it. That's yeah, give you, it. right? Or give it up. That's it. Give it up. Yeah. I yeah, like that. Great. It was a great. That sounded just like all the other solid R and B from like 1982 or four or whatever year that was.
2: Yeah, but it didn't happen. I mean yeah. you know, and then uh the producer, Robert Wright, he died I mean, he was like a powerful guy. He had he was he was vice president of R and B or something at at R C at the time, but what happened was within a year or something, he was one of the first guys that I know that had contracted AIDS.
1: Oh, really?
2: Wow. Yeah, I, my career there was always uh, an, an asterisk.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, it's just
2: like, as soon as I'm supposed to really dump off. Now, the mm-hmm. Mail with the Horn album comes out, and it's huge. Mm-hmm. It was a big jazz record. It was huge. It was like number one on Billboard for weeks, you know. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so I had to make some, uh, you know, we, he at the time, you couldn't get Miles to make appearances, so we would go. Me and, and his nephew would go to radio stations and talk for Miles, you know, because Miles was going out there with him, man. Miles was you know, right. He was gone. He was, you know. Yeah. And yeah. so and then the pleasure thing is happening. Now the Ray Parker Jr. thing is happening. It's just like like wow. stuff was falling out of the sky, and I was going from one thing to another to another, trying to decide yeah. on what I wanted to do. So pleasure wanted me to stay with them, and I was like, wait a minute. Now this Ray Parker thing is starting to look good because, I mean, the, the, manager, the management copy's like, Randy, we can get you some money now. Just hang out. And so Thank I always you. felt like I should follow the money. You mm-hmm. Know? Mm-hmm. And uh, so we finished the, the demo, and Ray said, hey, man, uh, I'm planning for Irving tonight. I got a meeting with Irving Azar. But mm-hmm. he goes and he meets with Irving, and Irving loves it. I want this guy, blah, blah, blah. We're going to make him right, into so. the next prince. We're going to do all this kind of stuff. He's a good-looking guy, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. The girl's going to love him. Mm-hmm. And that's that's how we come to that. So what, why didn't, why didn't it take off? Okay, this is What's what happened.
1: What's the asterisk? Okay, this is what happened. So is it the, Irving, the dark-skinned black guy who doesn't like light-skinned black guys? Is yes. that
2: why I could... Irving, Irving gets a better deal, or something went down. I don't know what happened. Irving gets a better deal, and he leaves to go to Giant Records, because now Irving is they basically giving him this big... Warner Brothers is giving him this huge label on his own. Oh, okay. So when he leaves, I don't have the protection no more. Yeah, yeah. So Gerald comes in. Gerald basically likes kids kind of groups. So he signs new addition. <laughs> yeah, okay. Okay, so, mm-hmm. so you know. Yeah, I remember he just, steps Gerald, the direction
1: he feels like he needs to go.
2: Yeah, so I remember him just telling me, he says, man, look, man, you know, as long as you're at this label, man, it's probably just not going to happen. He couldn't drop me at the time because I had I had a two-album deal. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. he doesn't get behind the record like he should, you know. I yeah. remember on my second album, the first, and, and actually the first album did pretty good. The first album did actually pretty good, even on its own, without as much promotion as what. They did a video, and it did actually yeah. pretty well.
1: In New Orleans? Where was
2: that? Yeah. I, I that? did that at the uh, New Orleans World's Fair. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Back when they had World's Fair. It's been a long yeah. time since the World's Fair. Yeah. It was yeah. a World's Fair. And uh, we did that there. And um, Great uh, video.
1: Raising it. You know what, yeah, though? I mean, and I consider myself a pretty deep in the music guy. I don't remember. I don't remember hearing that on the radio or seeing the video or anything like that. Maybe I wasn't listening to it. I grew up in Salt Lake City. It's not like there's a big urban market there. But well, in the urban world, was it doing okay?
2: Yeah, it was doing good, urban radio. It, it okay, did really, good. It did well on the charts. It, did, it charted good. well. But the thing was, I remember a promotional guy calling me uh, on my second album. The first single jumped out like crazy. And he mm-hmm. says, Randy, he says, I don't know what you need to do, but you need to get your managers and somebody to talk to uh call to give Gerald a call and say mm-hmm. we need more money. He said, Man, look, the Bobby Brown album oh I got got this many dollars. Mm-hmm. On your on this label, these all these songs got this many dollars and your budget is minuscule compared to yeah. everybody else got. So he almost single-handedly just basically did everything he could to just make sure nothing happened. Terrible. Now, how and, are you and, feeling and while and this wait, is this, happening? This, oh yeah, go ahead. Now this this is the this is the uh, this is the coup of of of, of all of it. Uh, it's this movie that's coming out uh, with uh, Chevy Chase. And Ray's had done Ray had done the Ghostbusters movie and they wanted uh-huh. Ray to do it. They wanted Ray to do the sound this the the song for it, but mm-hmm. Ray couldn't do it because of some type of contractual thing. So he said, Well I got an artist who could do it, Randy Hall. And they said, Great. So the movie was called Fletch. Are you on the Fletch soundtrack? No, let me tell you. Okay, because I have that and I don't remember you so, being on there. Let me tell you, so we meet with the movie people, and we do the song, and they love it. <laughs> so they call me. So I remember Ray, Ray gave me a – they gave me we, – we got it like a crazy advance. We got like $80,000 to do that. No way. Awesome. Yeah, yeah you got to think now. Yeah, for one song, 80 grand was like huge. That was a cool. big yeah. advance. I don't know anybody else even who was getting advances like that. Okay. Yeah. yeah and so this so this this was a big movie. You got Chevy Chase and he had mm-hmm. all these other actors It's huge. Ram I, I mean movie. not Ram uh so who else was in there? Anyway, Matheson movie. Yeah, Gina yeah, Davis. Davis. Big, movie. big movie. So they they tell me, This is Randy, uh all right. Uh we're sending a limo to pick you up. You're going to London. To shoot a video, and guess who you shoot with? And I was like, "Who, man? You shooting this video? You shooting a uh, a video with with uh, Chevy Chase, Bill Murray's gonna be in the video. What? Uh, yeah, Ray Parker Jr. is gonna be in the video. They're gonna bring no. in like a little. It's just gonna be huge. I said, okay, great. And I, I got all this money. And I remember Ray said, man, they even gave us some cash. Just just to no, have some right. cash wise So he gave me a couple of grand and i mean he gave me like twenty one twenty one hundred dollar bills. I mean it was, just, it was just Wow. So I'm all dressed, waiting on the limo. I get a phone call. Race calls and says, Hey man, Randy, don't get on the limo. I said, what's, I said, What? What's what's going on? He said, Man, believe it or not, he said they dropped you from doing the, they dropped the song and they dropped you from doing the movie because Gerald just signed Stephanie Mills you and were supposed to do the Stephanie Mills song it was no we had a totally different song it was a better song oh oh yeah
1: yeah okay so you wrote it but they took you out and they put her in there bit by yeah, bit she, i think is the name Gerald, of
2: the song Cheryl made the deal with them that he would do that. He, I was it's the soundtrack record, but he made this huge deal that if you instead of using Randy Hall, look, I got this girl, she's already a star. So oh, I've no. Oh, no. You know, and her, her stuff never happened again with MCA when she got signed. Yeah. To MCA. Her stuff happened when I think she was with RCA, but he signed her to this big deal. And part of it was that, you know, you'll get this movie off. So they said, well, she she is a bigger name and a bigger art, artist.
1: Did you still get paid the 80
2: grand, or did that go back? Yeah. Yeah, so you got, got all that
1: money and everything, and then but then they just, nothing happened. Why did they yeah. do that? Why did they spend all that money on somebody and then just let it just float it away? Stephanie,
2: well, number one, I guess they were looking at it like this, is that Stephanie Mills, she did have the name. She had a bigger name. yeah. And uh, Gerald basically had made some kind of deal with them, I guess, to release the soundtrack. You know, he just made this big deal that he wouldn't, yeah. have made. and so they they went for it, and the rest was history. Weird.
1: Well, you know what? That I mean, as popular a movie as that is, as well, um, yeah. That's not like that's not a movie with a huge soundtrack.
2: No, that soundtrack
1: not. didn't sell millions of copies or anything. Um, mm-hmm. So they basically. I mean, they may have paid to have a bigger her bigger name on there, but it's not like they promoted it. It got buried. There were no hits off that soundtrack. No.
2: Well, it wasn't so much that it wasn't promoted. The song sucked. Wow. It was, it was, yeah, it was a song called Bit by Bit. Yeah,
1: I remember. Plays over the end credits.
2: Yeah. Wow. So and so. Oh, and like, that should have been you. Those were the like I said, those are the things that really kind of just kind of destroyed my career. Sure. Sure. You know. Wow. And, and yeah, yeah. One man and just just amazing. It's amazing. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Oh, it's heartbreaking. So the second album comes out, which I want to ask you eventually okay. why. Those are so, like, why are they not on iTunes? Why can I not find them on Spotify? I had to, I no offense, I had to download Love You Like right. a Stranger, and I had to listen to, I forget the name of the first album, um, I Belong to You. Right. I had to listen to that song by song on YouTube, and not even every song was on there. Right.
2: I, I think it all had to do with with, with, with Gerald. Gerald. Really? Gerald. He just... Yeah. Somebody
1: I mean, somewhere is still just not releasing that stuff to be on iTunes or Spotify or anything else, huh?
2: Well, yeah, but there are some bootleg companies that's releasing my albums, and i got to go after them.
1: Uh, ah, yeah. interesting, yeah. yeah.
2: A friend of mine who found out about it, he's in the music industry, too, and he does those reissues. Uh uh-huh. huh. Tell me that, yeah, there's a couple of companies that have released my records.
1: And wow. I don't so, did those two
2: albums ever that. get
1: officially released on CD? Uh,
2: yeah, the second record did.
1: The second one did, okay. Uh-huh. So, there are CDs out there floating around of the second album.
2: Okay. Yeah, yeah, you can get them on eBay. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, I'll have to buy one. I liked it. I liked the second album. Oh, I liked them both. I liked the second album even better than the first.
2: Yeah. Um, that's, that's okay, so, what's that? Right. No, that's, uh, that's, yeah, yeah, cool. That's That'd the story, crazy, I guess. Huh? Yeah, I okay. like the first record better. But.
1: Um, so then, so t- the second album is like, what, 1988, I think?
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: And then, what happens between, you know, the death or the end of that album cycle
2: okay. and working with well, Joe in Vegas? Okay, well, this is what happens. I, uh, I, uh, I started working at Death Row Records.
1: Death Row? You worked at Death Row? It's just nice. Oh, what? In what capacity yeah. did you work at Death Row?
2: Well, I tell you, man, I've had a really crazy career, and I started working with the guy who was the A&R director. Uh, he was Ramsey Lewis's son, Kevin Lewis. Huh. And Kevin asked me they were recording all these songs at Can-Am. Uh and during this time, uh, the uh, the Snoop. The, what's the first Dr. Dre album? Uh, at the Chronic. Yeah, yeah. My, for some reason, my memory's gone. Anyway, that's okay. that, 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 that record is taking off. So like a and a new album is taking off. So Kevin asked me to come in to help him. Because what happened was this. Death Row was getting ready to take a, a, big, a big turn. Suge wanted to make Death Row more like Motown. So what he did, he signed mm. these female groups. Mm. He signed... Um, these male singers, these R and B singers, R and B female groups, okay. he uh he um he decided that like the Snoop albums and all these different records, we were getting ready to go in and put we, we put horns and violins on them. So they sounded more wow. like okay. they was, they were sound like records that they they were sounding more like uh like old-time R&B when they put hands and strings. We were were putting them on all the records, even Snoop's, Snoop's,
1: Snoop's record. Wow. Was it to make it more radio-friendly? Was that kind of the idea? No,
2: they were just into doing this, and we were cutting with live Hmm. musicians, and it was just a new thing that he was going to try, and he really wanted to put these female singers out, these R&B singers out. He wanted to make Death Row more than just a rap label. Okay. Now I found Shug to be really a cool guy. He was really a cool guy back then. I mean, wow. I know he had all the games. Now this was the wild stuff about it. When we were coming to the studio, because I was a, I was assistant to the A&R guy, so I was, okay. I was But at the same time, I was also producing. I was doing horn arrangements. I was doing string arrangements. I was doing wow. I was doing vocal arrangements. So that kept me with my living. Mm-hmm. So I've always been able to make a living doing this. Good. What, what were we okay. talking about? You were talking about adding.
1: St- he wanted to go like Motown.
2: Yeah, yeah. and he brings and you in to
1: kind of bring strings yeah. and horns to songs.
2: So during this time, now Dr. Dre is pissed off with Suge about uh, things that are happening in the studio. So he leaves. He's leaving. He's he left. So he kind of put a void there. When that void came, that's when. This big idea to do instead of just rap, do R and B and rap. Mm -hmm. So I'm I'm still in the studio, and I'm working with Tupac, and I'm working with Snoop Dogg, (laughs) holy cow, and DJ Quick, Mm -hmm. and MC Hammer, Nate Dogg, and and it's such a trip, man, because you know you go to the studio and. Either these guys are Bloods or these guys are Crips. Mm-hmm. You know, you you have Suge, who's a Blood, and you go mm-hmm. into Suge's office, and everything is red. Oh my God! And then and then you have Snoop Dogg, who's a Crip, and he's doing the Crip walk and the Crip dance. But uh-huh. they all get along to make this music. Wow! They all get along to make this music. So interesting. That and you time, didn't grow
1: up with any of that. Are you just sitting back kind of watching this yeah. thing going, I can't believe this? Yeah.
2: Well, yeah, it, it was a real experience. So we never cutting, but at the same time, Kevin is also the guy who's carrying money. Mm-hmm. We go out to Nickerson Gardens to take money to this big-time uh, drug dealer's wife, and I can't say his name. Okay. Okay. Fine. We're going out there at night, taking money out there to wow. give money to him to keep like peace between uh huh the drug uh, between the Bloods and the Crips. And, oh my and, gosh. Yeah. So I'm scared to death. Yeah. Going to do that. So I mean, I'm involved in all this stuff. And <laughs> and so now he's now Suge wants to give me a production deal. To bring in my girl group, so we were making money, and I was making enough money where I was able to fund and do, and, and and put my own studio together. Yeah. So, you know, it, it's weird because I'm thinking, I was like, "Wow, man!" You know, the people that I work with, and that's not time I forgot about the Diana Ross stuff I did working with Ray uh, on the Diana Ross album, Ross. And really. Yeah, you know, and, and, and then also, too, I go to Africa with the Jacksons, with all the Jacksons. Oh, well, you Michael, do? You know, yeah, I go to, well, playing guitar with the Jacksons. You know, No way. Yeah, I mean, when I'm there, so I'm thinking in my life, I go from the Staple oh. Singers, Ramsey yes. Lewis, Miles Davis, my own records, Ray Parker Jr., Cavallo Ruffle management who managed everybody. Yeah. And then I and then I start and then Snoop Dogg, Tupac. You've done it all. Yeah, I mean I'm just covering a lot of bases here. I don't know why my wife yeah. took me through all this, you know, it's just yeah you know, Wayne Shorter, Herbie Hancock. Crazy uh, I'm missing I'm missing some people. Yeah. And and uh and then wow this 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 real thing like it's really good, I'm making great money. And then and then what happens is there's this fight in Las Vegas. Everybody wants to go see Tyson fight. Mike Tyson fight. Mm-hmm. So I decide my wife's I decide not to go. And also doing this whole thing too, my wife is scared to death because she sure. knows that that you know when I go up in this studio, they have um, they have a a, a a detector there. What, what kind of say? A metal detector. Because when you go in, yeah. the, the bloods and the grips. Everybody has to hand their guns over to the security guard. They no tag. Oh no yeah, right. So when you go in, the dog pound. All these people, they tag stuff. yeah. The gun. They, go in. they want to make sure you don't have guns because they don't want no shootouts in the studio.
1: Let me. Can I make one? Can I ask one question about this? I yes. as much as I respect, you know, rap and and Death Row Records and gangster rap and all that kind of stuff. I gotta admit, and uh, at some points, it just feels like a bunch of glorified criminals. Um, uh
2: huh.
1: And I'm not. I hope that that doesn't come off as any kind of a racist statement or a generalization or anything like that. Whenever. But it, I mean, you tell these stories, and it's like, guys, we're just making music here. What do we, what do we need a metal detector and guns in a studio for? We're just music. We're just artists. But that's well, not what it is. You know yeah. what I mean? It's
2: well, it's that, well, but it's
1: a it. byproduct of the criminality. That's what it feels like sometimes as an outsider.
2: <laughs> Look at it like this: you, if it's back in the, in the 1930s and 40s, and Al Capone and these guys get record deals, then what kind yeah. of? And, and, and they wrote, and basically their songs they wrote were about the kind of stuff they were going through. Mm-hmm. That's what it was. That's really yeah. what it was. Yeah, yeah. I mean, only somebody who really lived in that those conditions could really write those kind of songs.
1: Yeah, yeah, I know. You know,
2: I couldn't write no raps because I didn't grow up like that.
1: Right, right. right.
2: You know, and people have always loved in this country and everyone, has always have always loved gangster shit. Right? Yeah. Whether it's, whether yeah, it's watching not... the Godfather, whatever. You're right. This just yeah. happened to be this just happened to be black gangster
1: stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's true. It's a shame though. I feel like it's a, uh... anyway. I mean I know that it it has its artistic merit, but on the other hand I just feel like I don't know. Yeah. It, I get I feel really conflicted about that kind of stuff sometimes. But
2: Well I do too anyway. Yeah. I did too. I did too, you know. And but I didn't know but it was weird. I got involved with it because hey, it was money, it was great money. Sure, it was a job. At one point I was making almost eight hundred dollars a day.
1: Whoa, nice.
2: It was it was and good you money get to going. you get to be
1: in music, yeah, you get to be in music, your opinion well, matters to these people, you're producing them, you're arranging and directing them.
2: Yeah. yeah. And That's I got to feel guys, good. During the time, it was the hottest thing in the industry.
1: Of course.
2: Nothing was bigger than Death Row d- no. during, at one at one point. It yeah. was just huge. It was huge. Yeah. Everybody would come down, like producers like Teddy Riley and all that. I mean, uh, Sugar was trying to was gonna eventually hook up someone with Babyface to come in. The mm-hmm.
1: it, was mm-hmm. it was huge. Yeah.
2: And I was glad to be a part of it.
1: Yeah, yeah, I bet. Yeah. So I I cut you off. You go to Vegas for the Mike Tyson fight.
2: No. So I decided not to go. All right. Because my wife was always afraid because, see, Suge had three hits on him that we knew about. You know, where people were trying to kill him. Crazy. So she wouldn't want me to go to the meeting. She wouldn't want me to go to the meeting. There was always in different locations where nobody would see us. So I decided not to go. And, uh that's when Suge and Tupac mm-hmm. went, and Tupac got killed. Mm-hmm. Wow. And you that was... You could have been there. Yeah. And that's oh my the... Gosh. That's the... That's the... Uh, that was really the end of Death Row. That was the yeah. end, because when they went to that hotel, and they got to the fight with the gangster and Suge kicked the guy, and, you know, he he, he was already um, on parole or something like that, so they were going to arrest him. So he left. What happened was he left, mm-hmm. and he wanted all the death row to go to Cancun uh, because mm-hmm. that would be a place where they couldn't be extradited. Mm-hmm. Well, a lot of people didn't want to go to Cancun. Mm-hmm. And should sure came back, with his ego, because he wanted to go to a party in, L- in L.A., and that's when huh. they arrested him. That's when they
1: wow. arrested him, and they put him in prison. Do you still have a job when that happens? What do you do? No. No. No, it was over.
2: Everything That's was it. Over. That was over. That it was it. Killed
1: it. And you knew Tupac. Was he, I hear good things, I hear bad things. I mean, what, what's your take on Tupac?
2: He was the he was one of the, you know, well, me being around Miles and Miles being a genius, mm-hmm. and people don't realize the genius of Ray Parker Jr. Ray Parker Jr. is really, I feel like a genius. Total, I agree. And, I, and I'll talk to you about it later. Why? If you look into his career and the way he did things. Mm-hmm. But Tupac was strictly a genius because he worked nonstop. Chipot was, you know, he was involved in all that gangster, but he really wasn't a gangster. He really, all that to me was so fake. You know? yeah. Yeah. I mean, this guy went to the, the uh, Baltimore School of Art, you know? Yeah, He was very intelligent, very articulate. He got caught up in a lot of bullshit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when he would go in that studio, a lot of the stuff that you hear is off the top of his head. Wow. He was just a poetic genius. Mm-hmm. And um, it's just too bad that it happened to her. It really yeah. But you know, but that's a long, that's a whole other story too. Yeah, that. yeah, that's all. That's thing. a whole other story why he got killed and all that. Because yeah. people who was close to death row, we all have different. We we all have different stories about it. I was going like to ask those. you about that. Sounds like it's yeah. all over the place. Okay. Yeah. So during this time. You know, I meet a beautiful woman, and she has two children. Who's not your wife? Who's my wife, and I fell in love with her. But you were married at the time, right? I just got—I just got married.
1: Oh, you just got. Sorry to if I'm pinpointing a touchy subject. You just got married. Your wife didn't want to go because death row freaked her out, and then you met yeah. someone else. No 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 no. This is oh that's wife, her but, that's her okay yeah, good yeah, yeah. okay.
2: I, mean, I had not been Just married clarify. that long. I had not been married that long. Okay, got it, got it. Okay. Okay, and so I need a job. So a friend of mine uh, from Chicago, this female singer, she was she was married to a guy named Phil Perry. Yeah, you ever heard of Phil Perry, the singer? I don't think so. Yeah, he's a great R&B singer. Anyway. Okay. Anyway, I get asked to go on tour with Dave Koz. Oh, really? Yeah. 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 You're back in jazz again then, huh? Yeah, I'm back in jazz again. Wow.
1: So I go on jazz, the road, R&B to pop to gangster rap, rap back to jazz again.
2: Yeah, but you gotta think about the people. It's the
1: people. It's sure.
2: It's it's always like the most incredible people. Yeah, I mean, you know, and like I said, I I, I did this this African tour with the Jacksons. Yeah, and I was with them for a month on tour in Africa, going to different cities in Africa and hanging out. It was great. Okay, so. Yeah, and then I started working with Dave Koss. So I worked with him for about two years, and we just toured, just doing tours, tours. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. it was his first record, and it was huge. I think Dave Koss' first record was his biggest record. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. And um, I do Dave Koss thing. And then um, I uh, we decide. So the Dave Koss tours over. Mm-hmm. So a friend of mine uh her daughter I had been working with a friend of mine her daughter we wrote songs together me and this lady and her daughter was a great singer So we do a little CD on her hmm. and this this guy who's a multi multi millionaire picks it up loves it and he's got the juice the money to put us on tour. Wow. So I tour with her for about. Do we know her name? What's her name? Yes, her, her name is Nina Store.
3: No, no love, no man and no love. Girl.
2: He's got the kind of money where we can go on tour, and I'm and I'm making big cash. I'm making mm-hmm. big money again. Yeah, I made well close to probably about two hundred thousand dollars just that first year. Excellent. Good. And 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 we even do Woodstock. We do the Lille Fair. We no do the, we, we do all the big side on. Right. So my wife was saying, Well, you know, we're making all this great money, Randy. Why don't we just move from LA? And for the kind of house that I really wanted at the time, I couldn't live I couldn't afford it in LA. So mm-hmm. I So her dad was living in Vegas. So she said, Randy, let's just go out to Vegas and look at these houses. So I came out here and I saw these houses and I saw the kind of house I can get for the money I Mm -hmm, mm had. And I said, you know what, baby? I could (laughs) live anywhere with this production deal I have right now. (laughs) Right. So let's move to Vegas. So we moved here to Vegas. And that's how I ended up being in Vegas. Okay. So the the deal, the mom falls out of, the the mom gets mad with the uh, millionaire guy and she blows the whole deal. So now I'm out of a job again. But thank God oh, I had I had some money. But yeah. the the millionaire guy still likes me. <laughs> <laughs> nice. nice. So so he just so he gives me money to go ahead in the studio and do my own record. And so I go and do my own album and he says, Man, I'm gonna fund it, I'm gonna make you a star Blah blah blah. We finished the record, mm-hmm. and what happens? Nine eleven. He loves it. Is that what you said? Nine eleven happens.
1: Nine eleven happens.
2: No 9-11. way! Another okay. asterisk. So, this so what the happens biggest is that, yeah. So I don't know if you remember, but there's a big crash after there. This big stock, in, this this big stock market mm-hmm. crash sure. happens. He uh-huh. calls me this Randy. I have to tell you, I can't fund your career anymore. Oh, no. He says, he says man, I am losing $300,000 a day. Oh. Oh, oh man. Wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah. You guys
1: feeling it. And uh, you're, meanwhile, yeah. you're in Vegas, and you don't have a job anymore.
2: Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, thank God I still had this money, you know, because I just yeah. my money. And... I need a job, so it's, things are starting to get tight. Now, I still got money. I still can pay. My, you know, I, I have still mm-hmm. had money saved. I probably still, sure. at the time, probably had about fifty or $60,000 left. Yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. But that's enough to make it for, for a year or two. My wife, she finds a job, and she finds sure. a good job, so we're cool. Okay. Okay. And then that's when I meet. And then a, a a singer that I've been working with for many years, Wendy, she she introduces me to a guy out here in Vegas. His name is Nino, and Nino is in, Nino is uh, is you know he's getting a lot of gigs and he works with the top agent in town, a guy named Steve Buyer. Hmm. And so, when I first moved here, I met uh, well, I was even before I even got to the Nino part. When I first moved here, a friend of mine, Greg Wright, keyboard players, friends with this guy named Roger who has a group called Cat Daddy. Okay. And I go to Caesars, and they they perform in the lounge and in, in Caesars, and that's when I meet Joe Esposito. Hmm. Now, this is the funny thing about <laughs> Joe Esposito. Let me tell you okay. that, the thing about Joe Esposito. Uh-huh. Okay. I, always, I remember Joe Esposito because when I was a kid, I was watching Midnight Special.
1: Mhm.
2: <laughs> and Don, and Donna Summers was on, right? Uh-huh. So I remember they had they kept focusing on this one guy he was singing, and he kept putting his face in the screen. And all I can remember was like the way that this guy was looking at the screen, he thought he was sexy. <laughs> and and, is this, he and looking, he's wearing the black
1: leather, right? is he in black leather and like a vest? Yeah. Like well,
2: well yeah. the thing is, the thing is this. He's looking in the screen like he's trying to seduce the screen.
1: Oh, my gosh. But then oh, I, that's I, knew,
2: I knew his past, and Joe Esposito, you know, the singer, the thing. So when I finally meet the guy, I said, man, Joe Esposito, nice to meet you. I already knew who Joe was and everything. Uh-huh. You know, and... When uh Nino and I we decided to form this group together with me and Nino and Joe and, and we brought we had another people, but we formed a group. And I would have uh-huh. never known I would have never known when I was a kid that corny ass dude that I thought was a corny dude uh-huh. he uh-huh. really was a cool. He really was a cool dude. But he I just oh, thought totally. he was corny at the time. Sure, sure. That that me and him would be in a band. And that is
1: insane. The whole, look, man, insane. My
2: whole career has been insane. This
1: whole yeah, has been this sounds crazy. like it. Yeah. Crazy. Uh, you, know, I'm
2: thinking, you know, I could have went to to the fight that night with and, yes. uh, maybe, and maybe hung out in the car with uh, Snoop and Suge and you know, yes. so just just this whole thing has been crazy. So, and me and Joe have been working together ever since, and. You know the industry has changed up so much. I haven't really tried as yeah. hard as I could to get back in the industry because, you know, at my age it's probably pretty difficult. But right. I guess I could. We could do some songs and go. On, you know, go on YouTube and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's that's you got a
1: you gotta steady gig. I mean, I'm at this point. You, I mean, that's better than like one percent of all the other. Struggling artists out there would give anything for a steady gig, a steady paycheck, and you got it, you know?
2: Well, you know what? The thing about it is so funny is that me and Joe, and even before I met with Joe, I've had a steady gig for 15 yeah. years. Yeah, all along, right? Yeah. For 15 years. And I've, I, I looked at it like this I said, you know what? Maybe God said, look. You're not going to get, you're not going to become, you, you didn't become the big star. But mm-hmm. one thing that you do have, you got longevity and you're still in the industry at this point And you still have a yeah. great ass time. Yeah. Yeah. That's I, still, true. I still, I still, I still got my house. I was able to put all my kids through college. Good for you, man. Uh, I was Good able to save up, save up for my retirement. I was able, I mean, and still doing it. Yeah. So. I can't really complain. No, no, good for you.
1: Well, look, I got a million things I want to talk to you about, but we gotta we gotta cut it off here. Okay. But I, I have well, I have um, I have two questions I want to ask you that I ask most of the people I talk to,
2: yeah. and they
1: are: when you look back on your career, what is the biggest highlight? The most I can't believe I saw or did or witnessed this. And then, what would be your biggest
2: regret? Okay. The biggest highlight for me was after I was in the studio and I had cut my first song. It was a song called Older Woman, Younger Man. You. Look
3: at you.
2: Jr. and Ray and, and Irvin came down and they told me, they said, Randy, we think we you have a hit single. This is before it came out. And yeah. I remember I remember this. I remember I went back to the I was going back to the apartment. Ray had drove me home. I got out the car, the car had left. I'm standing on Hollywood Boulevard. Because where I the, the I was living on one of those apartments two blocks away from the theater, the Grumman Theater, mm-hmm. and I actually got on my hands and knees, and I kissed the ground. Oh, oh, that's it. Because I said, I finally, I got a hit. Sing. I, this is what I yeah. want my whole life. Yeah. Okay, now, my worst, My now, do you want my stupidest moment or my worst Well whatever moment.
1: I mean when it when you okay,
2: if there well, was something that you
1: did or not something I that tell, happened to I, I you, but you but something, maybe something you, you did.
2: Me, okay, I tell you something I did that was the stupidest thing I've ever done in the okay. American. I'm at Miles Davis's house and he's going through whatever he's going through, you know, with the drugs mm-hmm. thing and everything. And he's He's he he. We're sitting at this we see at this big table in front of him, and it's just full of guck and shit, and uh, he's drinking mm-hmm. beer and shit. So I see this cassette tape, and you know how like the cassette tapes, you can pull the tape out, and it's mm-hmm. kind of like just hanging and dangling. Mm-hmm. So I look at it and I said, Miles, what is that? He said, Oh, that's a cassette of me and Jimmy Hendrix jamming. No, so I say. I said, it's a cassette that you and Jimmy Jimmy jammed. He said, yeah. So Miles leaving goes to the bathroom. Now, my mind told me, it says, Randy, take that cassette and steal it. (laughs) You know. Yeah. Okay, now, Uh that cassette was probably thrown out. Nobody knew what it was. He probably didn't even know what it was the next day. No way. That would have been the only recording that you yes. would have had of Miles Davis and Jimi Hendrix playing together. Cause Miles no had went over to, Miles had went over to Jimmy's house, and they, they stood up and they jammed together, and that was it. Wow. And you now, would have been in possession of the one cassette. Yes. Well, that would have been one of the most important pieces of music. Probably. Totally. Ever. Ever. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just telling you my life, man. My how crazy this thing has been for me.
1: That is insane.
2: Yeah, and I that is insane. Too. And and the, and the good in me—it's not the good in me says Randy don't steal, but the stupidity uh-huh. says Randy don't steal too. I oh man, it. I should have taken it. That'd be like owning the Zabruder
1: the Zabruder tape from when JFK was assassinated. Yeah, you have this piece of history that needs that's Uh, that's going to be used and reused so many times. It's going to be a definitive document of who are the greatest musicians in recorded history. Oh, my gosh. Wow. I should have taken it. You should have stolen it. What Mm. were you thinking, Randy? You should have stolen that thing. the, 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 the,
2: the, The tape was pulled out. And it had gook on it. From I don't know if he had eaten a jelly sandwich on it, something like that. But they—they <laughs> they probably, you know, these engineers, they probably could have taken it, cleaned it. Sure, sure. Anything with technology, especially yeah. these days, they could—they would have taken and done something incredible with. They probably would have taken it and put music behind it, so it sounds right. like you know. Right. Wow.
1: But, yeah. That's incredible. That's incredible. Yes. Yeah. Well. Uh, Look, this was, I got way more than I bargained for, man. You're an amazing storyteller. You've been and done it all. Uh, we may have to do like a part two because there wasn't, I didn't even get to the Jacksons or the Ray Parker juniors or in mm. depth on some of this other stuff. I mean, it's truly amazing. You've had an amazing career and I hope you feel blessed or, you know, it, somewhat satisfied that you've at least been a part of some very historic, amazing things
2: yeah yeah
0: yeah yeah i am i am am. good for you good Mm -hmm. for you all right there you have it could you imagine having in your hand the only living the only cassette proof that Jimi hendrix and miles davis had played together at some point could you imagine having that in your possession, how much power that would be? That's like a holy grail. It's crazy. I am I might have to do a part two on him because we didn't even have time to get to like the Jacksons and all the other stuff that he's done. Such an amazing guy. I love those stories. I hope you did too. All right, next week, we're talking to another legend, Martin Page. Now that name may not ring a bell. He had one sort of adult contemporary hit in 1994 with In the House of Stone and Light. I was only 21 years old, so that his solo album at that time was not really my jam, but this is the guy who wrote We Built This City, which is one of the most divisive pop songs in history. He's also written like a million other huge hits, including These Dreams by Heart, King of Wishful Thinking by Go West. He's uh, He played Keyboards, with Ray Parker Jr. on the Ghostbusters song. He's done a million, million things. And so we get into like how much money he makes off those hits, how it's changed his life, what kind of music he does now to sort of appease his own soul. He is a fascinating guy. I think you're gonna love this. And he was in a band called Q-Feel. You may or may not have ever heard of Q-Feel, but if you're a child of the 80s, I guarantee you know a song by Q-Feel that's in one of in a movie you've seen a million times. Huge thanks to Jan Mokiewicz, as always. Jan the man for producing this podcast, putting it all together. We're so grateful for him. Everybody, please find us on iTunes. Please write us a review. Please per- subscribe to the podcast so you can listen to all these great stories. Send me a note at thehustlepod at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter at thehustlepod like us on Facebook you can communicate with us that way I always send out updates and interesting stories about previous guests and now we have a playlist on YouTube that includes all of the songs that have ever pretty much been featured on this podcast just go in there type in the hustle podcast playlist and you'll find it thanks everybody see you next week